you go. I, uh, I work for a church that meets in my living room, <laughs> so uh, this is quite different for me. Get <laughs> used to the stage, Charlotte. You know, this is <laughs> um, all right, well, let's find out who Charlotte is, uh, and then we'll <laughs> launch into what we're actually doing today. Hey, Charlotte. Hi. Who are you? <laughs> uh, I'm Charlotte Naylor Davis. I'm a biblical scholar, I guess, from the UK. I work for a couple of churches and do some academic stuff as well. Um, I've just been in Montreal this week at a heavy metal studies conference, which is as cool as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably thinking, is that a thing? It absolutely is. It absolutely thing. is a thing. <laughs> what was it that you uh, presented on? So I gave a presentation on using heavy metal in the religious studies classroom to help understand the Bible. That was, that was my presentation. That's right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> and how do you know me, Charlotte? Why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> well, when once upon a time, a long time ago, went in like the the sort of two thousands sometime. I was two thousand and five. You're welcome. I was at a theology and philosophy college doing my undergrad degree. Um, I didn't go till I was a mature student. So some of the people there wanted to start a Christian union, and they said, "Would I help them?" And they came around to my house, and in this group was this young man wearing the an At The Gates t-shirt. If you don't know that, they're a heavy metal band. Um, like looking a black metal band <coughs> from Sweden. Yeah, a black metal band from Sweden, looking super grumpy, um, who was expecting to be super edgy because he was wearing this thing. And of course, <laughs> and of course I went, oh my God, At The Gates. <laughs> Have you seen them live? And that ruined his call. <laughs> and we've been friends ever since. <laughs> and so, so we were friends at college and then you went to be a youth worker, and I was your mentor for a while, That's helping right. you out. And most, then most Sundays, I would uh, call up Charlotte and be like, I don't know what to do, what <laughs> do I do? And fortunately, Charlotte has a wide range of uh, understanding, so I stole her ideas. It was yeah. excellent. So Yeah. That's it. And uh, yeah, so we've been friends ever since. And uh, Yeah, so we're good. So nice. we've been friends a long time. A long Charlotte time. is brilliant. So Charlotte did her PhD in Biblical Studies. Uh, specifically on First Corinthians and what is it? Something pretty nerdy. That's it was Bible translation. Bible it was translation. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So she's super into the Bible, in case you're wondering. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Which I know this is what you expect someone who's super into the Bible to look like, but here we are. <laughs> 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 we both like to be edgy, I guess. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah, there is a joke that I only know one Corinthians because I managed to get one Corinthians into nearly every sermon I ever preach, and. Um, <laughs> There's a joke that that's the only book, bi book of the Bible I've read. I'll probably mention it today. It's a good one. <laughs> it's that's a good one. one. Yeah, yeah, that's why. That's why I did it. It's all about church, and so I, it's my favorite one. All right. So we're, um, we've been going through this series in the last few weeks of bad ideas about the Bible, uh, and we've looked at some interesting ideas there. So we looked at the idea that uh, God is angry at me all the time. We said this is a bad idea. I don't think it's true. Uh, last week, we talked about the bad idea that God wants 10% of your money, and I preached about the importance of generosity, but not legalism and how giving to church is a weird, complicated thing. I will say, I've got very good feedback from that, which concerns me that none of you are going to donate to the church ever again, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we'll see if I still have a job in a year, I guess. Um, today, our bad idea about the Bible is the Bible is the Word of God, and that's the bad idea. So... I, I, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. The point is, we think the Bible is absolutely amazing. I think one of the interesting conversations I have with Charlotte 
is that she'll say things and people say, ooh, well, I just want to take the Bible seriously. And Charlotte's response is, I mean, I have got a PhD in biblical studies, so <laughs> you can disagree with what I think, but I certainly take the Bible seriously. And I think that's what we all want to end up here today. We want to end up taking the Bible seriously, loving the Bible, loving Scripture more, loving people more, understanding Jesus better. And we think that that's actually possible. And so yep. we want to talk about that. Um, did you leave that Bible in your seat? I did, yeah. All right, we're going to use... I, uh, but I bought my other one. Okay, all right. <laughs> but I did bring... Yeah, I let's, let's use the one that we use here. Okay. We'll use our NIV. So I'm going to read from John 1. And then I've got it. It's 1 to 11. All right. So I'm going to read from John 1 to begin with, which is on page 1109 in my pew Bible. Yours might be slightly different. You don't have to follow along. So John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of your husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No, we'll stop there. <coughs> and Charlotte's going to read from Timothy. Yeah, one, uh, two Timothy. Two, two, yeah, yeah, two yeah. Timothy three sixteen, which says, "All Scripture is inspired by God, and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped in every good work." All right. Mm. <laughs> so I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into it. Lord, we thank you so much for Scripture. We thank you for everything it reveals of you. We pray that our hearts and our minds be open to what you have to share with us today. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Charlotte, you also have to deal with the fact that like, no one likes to sit near the front. I know. So <laughs> like, it's really far <laughs> from people. It's okay. I can see them. <laughs> I'm paying attention. <laughs> all right. So, we've just kind of blown people's minds. Now what? <laughs> now, now what? <laughs> and we actually made notes. We actually did some preparation before this, so it wasn't Me. just there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, d it's a difficult place to start, isn't it? So, one of the things that I tend to ask my students is in what way, if they think the Bible is sacred or authoritative, scripture, the word of God, like what? 
in what way, what do those mean? Um, and people sort of go, well, they mean sacred and authoritative <laughs> and the word of God. <laughs> and so, so we play around with things. So I'm going to tell you a story that one of my students told me. And uh, he said he'd been on a, like an outward bounds like weekend, you know, like a survivalist weekend. And um, he was a minister. And he, they got given a list of things. You know, you've crashed on a desert island. Here are the things you've got to leave. But you can only take seven things. What things are you going to take? And one of the things on the list was the Bible. Nobody took it. Everyone took the other things, you know, like fire lighters and stuff. And uh, the guy who ran it said, oh, you should always take the Bible. And he thought, oh, great, Christian survival leader. <laughs> this is good. We can bond. And the guy said, because it's really good for kindling and it's really good for toilet paper. All right. And that's the so response. Half the room. Yeah, <laughs> and that's and that's the response you always get. Because and it's it's an interesting discussion though, because suddenly people find a line, right? If I said to you, does the, you know, is it the book? Can you write in the Bible? Most people say yes, but if I say, well, so it's not the paper that's sacred, then you go no, and then I say, so it's okay to set fire to it. Ah, right, okay. So we've got a relationship with this thing that is not just about the words in it, that is about what it's, there's something that it like, signifies to us. And I think it's a really good kind of, when we start to want to talk about moral issues and all of those things, to go back a little bit, just take a couple of steps back and think, well, wh which bit of the Bible is it that is sacred to us? Is it what it means to us in our relationship with God? Is it the words on the page that are the most holy bit of it? Is it what it is in our community that makes it holy? I'm not going to answer those for you. These are questions for you, right? So, <laughs> um, but I think those are, those are good things to think about because people throw around. It's not that it, we object to the idea that the Bible might be the word of God, but people just say it as though we're all agreeing. You know, we're all, We all agree what that is, but if you went down the road to a Catholic church, they might, think, they might also say this is the word of God, but they'll use it in a very different way. So, so what is it for us? is a good question, um, and I work on Bible translation. So the other question is, is it still sacred if it's in English, or do you have to learn Greek and Hebrew, like me? I don't think you do, but <laughs> <laughs> just get that out there. <laughs> James is going to start teaching you all Greek next week. Yeah, this is going to be a fun <laughs> year. <laughs> Look, our pyramid scheme of Greek language is actually the, uh, the plan <laughs> yeah. here. So, so again, with a verse like one Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed. Yeah, which, which bit of scripture is God-breathed? Is it the Greek? Is it the Hebrew that's God-breathed? Or is it the translation that's... What does that mean? Um, and these are, these are good questions, I think. And I think what we're, what's really important to you, to me, something you've taught me, is being generous in that space and saying, mm -hmm. like, okay, what do we mean by these things? Yep. And what does it mean to actually ask questions well in a way that uh, sometimes I think we can become quite defensive yep. or we've been taught that we should be defensive as if mm. like the Bible is something that needs defending yeah. when actually I think the Bible does that by itself. Yeah, there's a, there's a real kind of, there's a sort of an anxiety in us as well, isn't there? Because there's the way we use the Bible and we know we use it at home for ourselves. And then there's a way we've been taught to talk about the Bible. So I might say, you know, if somebody challenges me on whether the Bible is the word of God or whether the Bible is authoritative, because I'm Christian, I will go, yes, of course it is. Mm. But then when someone says, well, okay, last week you went shopping 
how did you make your decision about what you'd spend your money on? I mean, did I pick my Bible up to do that? No. Right? I didn't. I didn't pick. I might, in the grand scheme of things, use the Bible to think about money, but I don't use it actually use it every day. So I've been taught to say that I use it for everything, but I actually don't. Similarly, I'm an academic, and I like to think of myself as, you know, doing very important biblical scholarly work. But actually, again, when I use the Bible in my personal faith, it's much more reflective and creative. It's not legalistic, and I'm not just looking for the rules. I'm, it's my friend. I've been reading it since I was 13, you know? So, so these things are variable, and quite often we have a phrase that we say about the Bible, but it's not actually what we do with it, and I think it's worth reflecting on that. I think one of, uh, we were talking about this last night, and I think both of us, so again, the point of this isn't to blow anyone away, it's to draw people closer in, right? That's always my hope. My hope is always on a Sunday morning that we leave more in love with Jesus than we did than when we entered. That's like what we're here for at the end of the day, and a greater understanding of God's love for us than we did when we walked in, right? That's the point. And I think uh, one of my issues I see sometimes is that if we see the Bible as simply a, a set of rules, then actually there's no desire to engage there. Like a set yeah. of rules or an instruction manual even. So Charlotte said this last night, you know, an instruction manual. Okay, I just bought, after like thinking about this for two <laughs> years, I bought myself a, a barbecue smoker. Very excited about this, uh, although a great source of anxiety. Um, but I finally bought this thing. And uh, you know what, I got it and I read that instruction manual cover to cover, like I'm really on it now. And now the instruction manual is tossed in a drawer because I know what I'm doing. Like, I'm good with it now. I know how to turn it on, fire it up, heat, all that stuff. Now I don't need to go back to it. And I worry that sometimes that's people's approach to Scripture. If you just see it as an instruction manual or laws or rules, then are you willing to be changed by it? Or have you already made your decisions? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, do you know what? The thing about that is it makes God so small. Right? Right? Like, God's so small that God wrote you this. Like, here's my tiny Bible. God wrote you this. You can read it once. Put it down. That's all God has to say to you. Like, for me, that's sad. Right? Like, that's a sad relationship I've got with it. Um, but, and I find it hard. Like, I'm a biblical scholar. I spend all my time thinking about this book. And I find it hard and confusing. Mm. And if it's hard and confusing for me, I'm assuming it's hard and confusing for some of you too, and the idea that this is a rule book I'm meant to instantly be able to understand leaves me in this place of feeling nervous, because I read God's word and I didn't understand it. But if this is a thing that is a is part of my relationship with God, well now when it's confusing I have a place to go, because I can go to God with it and go, why is this confusing? <laughs> or this bit is scary. Or this bit is hard. And, and also I can come to you and do that. I can come to my friends and do that. Um, it's bigger now. There's also something else that I, I've just thought of that I, I do want to say. Like I became a Christian at 13. And I'm now 45. In that time, I've done a PhD. I have lived. Some of you may have become Christians when you were teenagers. And now you are parents. So when you first became a Christian, you were a child of someone, and now you're, you have a child. The only relationship, <coughs> there's no relationship in my life that is the same at 45 than it is at 30. 
it would be really weird if I, re I mean, I sometimes do relate to my mum like I'm 13, but, <laughs> but in general, it, <laughs> it would be really strange if, I ha if that relationship were the same. I think it is strange if your relationship with the Bible as an adult is the same as it was when you were a child. I think it's strange if now that you've become a parent, you read the bits about parenthood in here in the same way as you did when you weren't a parent. I would expect your perspective to change. And we sometimes feel like something's gone wrong if, if our relationship with God or the Bible has changed over our lifetimes. But actually, I think that's natural. I think that's healthy. I think that's growth. I think some parts of this book will bring you joy and other times they will make you query something and stuff that I, I stuff that I must have read. I know I've read this thing through <laughs> from cover to cover. I know because I was such an earnest Christian teenager. Like <laughs> I was I was super earnest about it. So I know I read it cover to cover. And yet I remember going to university and sitting in a class and just being like and uh, I mean particularly it was judges actually and just thinking I do not remember this. I do not remember this bit. I'm, I'm sure I've read this cover to cover, but I don't remember it. Because I was a different person and different things hit you at different times. I, I guess kind of my thing is always to say to people, like, that's okay. <laughs> like, that's okay. And, and that's part of the joy of it. I, I love this book, but I don't find it easy. I don't find it simple. But I am also not worried about that. Partly, I mean, if the Bible was super simple to understand and the rule book was really clear, like it just doesn't work as a rule book, that's the first problem with it, it doesn't work. Different rules at different times of Israel contradict one another, like, so at some points something's okay and other times God's really against it, depending on where they are and what's going on in their lives. But, but also just kind of, if, if this is this sort of straightforward rule book, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm lost with it, <laughs> like mm. I'm just lost. Yeah, I think I say this all the time. I think that our living, breathing God has this, I think, living, breathing mm. document. Yeah. And things that live change, <laughs> uh, or at least our understanding of them change, and things that yep. breathe. Yeah, I, I mm. think that's a beautiful thing. Um, as you say, like, even if, let's say, the words haven't changed, yep. we change all mm. the time. I think it's really good to push ourselves. I ask people this all the time, like, cool, when's the last time God changed your mind on something? Like, or were you just, have you just been right for 50 years? Because <laughs> that's like, that's more concerning to me. Now, there are some things that absolutely, like, again, I stand on the conviction that, like, I, uh, that God is redeeming all things and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has fixed a relationship. Like, I'm not wavering mm -hmm. on that. But my understanding of how that works has changed, yeah. actually. Yeah. So there can be kind of complications within that. And yeah. I think that's, again, that's where that kind of living, changing growth stuff yeah. happens. And I think that's really exciting. And I think one of the really uh, exciting moments for me, like, as a, as a, you know, a teacher, I suppose, is when people say, like, hey, I didn't realize that yeah, this verse was talking about this. Like, I didn't realize because that's like that's what we do this for, yeah. right? Is so that people can be excited again. Like yeah. when people read a verse they've read ten times, and God reveals something more to them. Mm -hmm. And what is that other than us changing, us shifting, us growing? Yeah. And those are things that we're supposed to do. Yeah, I think. I mean, I find it really exciting. I am a nerd, and so I mean, but there's a joke in theology that like theologians who are really into philosophy and stuff they they become theologians and people who are nerds become biblical <laughs> scholars 
I'm unreasonably excited about conjunctions in 1 Corinthians. <laughs> and um, I can talk to any of you about that after the service. Give me 30 seconds on why conjunctions in 1 Corinthians are interesting. Okay, God. because if you've read anything in of St. Paul's writings, the arguments can be really confusing to follow because we translate one word as four, and in English, that makes a consecutive argument. But in Greek, it's bullet points. So sometimes Paul sounds like he's making no sense because he's saying, because of this, because of this, because of this, and you're thinking, those, those aren't consecutive. They don't make, they don't, no, but in Greek, they're bullet points. Uh, all right, right, there we go. Changes everything. Bullet points of the Bible, everyone. <laughs> changes everything. For today? Romans is so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> it's bullet points. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, those things. But again, for me, when I realized that, right this is the thing you don't all have to do that I mean again I'm into 1 Corinthians we all have different gifts you are not required to be as excited about conjunctions as I am <laughs> but maybe my excitement about conjunctions can help you understand something of God that is quite exciting mm. and your understanding of you know of people or your understanding of money or economics or whatever can help me understand something of God that is exciting mm. so like these are the these are the things like we live in this community the bible is a communal document so i think that's a, a thing for me as well like is the bible the word of god well one of the things about hebrew scripture is um well most well most scripture actually was read to, was written to be read out loud mm. there's no sense in the scripture of you going home in the first century and reading your own copy and deciding on your own what this thing means Nobody is doing that. Partly just boringly economics, right? Paper's expensive. Paper's expensive. <laughs> scribes are hard to train. It takes years. Paul's written to you, and there are no gaps in these words. There's no punctuation. You need a clever person to decipher what he's saying. But you're reading it together. So there's no sense in which you individually know what it means. You always do it together. <coughs> in the medieval era, we have Jewish um, uh, editions of the Hebrew scriptures and they are written with a, a page of scripture in the middle and then four different commentators around it usually ones who disagree usually rabbis that disagree so that even if you read it on your own you're reading it in community right there's no sense here of this is mine and I can take it away and me and God can squirrel it away and decide what is right for the world I meant to read this with you I meant to listen to your opinion on it and whoever's in the room who has the most expertise, we should probably listen to them a bit more on some things. But your opinion will always be important because you have an aspect of God about you that I don't have. And we see this, like you, we were going to read from the in indigenous, the yeah. native translation, right? I approach the Bible as a white woman from the UK. And I can't not approach it like that. That's who I am. So I bring that, and that's part of my positionality, I guess, like my position, my, my lens through which I look. And you bring what you bring to it, and you're going to ask different questions of it. So I need your reading of it. I need to know what an African-American reading is, because they also have the Bible as part of their culture and tradition, but they read it with different questions, with different needs. When I was at university, I did my master's, and I, we had a, a rabbi, a female rabbi in the class, and she'd never read the New Testament. Um, so we're reading through, and we get to the middle of John's Gospel, and read a verse that I have read my entire life, and I've always just automatically contextualized it as the ancient world, because I think of it like that. And Jesus says, 
you the Jews or of your father the devil. And I just, we just, we're just reading along and her face drops. So we pause and she says, was that about me? And immediately we all go, no, 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 I mean, obviously it isn't. And she says, well, it's not obvious. And I'd never really engaged with those bits of scripture because I just, they're not, Jesus isn't talking to me, so I, like, I just pull over them. So suddenly we have to have a different discussion. And I would never have had that discussion if I hadn't read this scripture with somebody coming from a completely different place to me. And suddenly it's opened out in a different way. And I think that's the thing about this being the word of God. Like, is it important? Is it, is it, is it got all these amazing things in it? Yes, it has. But I can't know the word of God <laughs> just by reading those words on the page. I think, yeah. I really want to dwell on this uh, different voices thing. I think that is so incredibly important. I think we learn so much more from other people. And the idea that actually this was never designed to be uh, taken away by ourselves to read. Like that wasn't, I think that certainly wasn't the intention when the Bible was compiled. It was always designed so that we would be reading it with one another and with people different to us. I, one of the, I, I use this all the time, um, and this is, this is, there are lots of really difficult parts in the Bible, and one of the really difficult parts of the Bible is when uh, David sees Bathsheba and decides, I want Bathsheba, so he rapes Bathsheba because he's the king and he can do that. Um, and, but for a long time, people read this as this kind of like, well, this torrid love affair of them both cheating on their spouses with one another. Um, and one of the voices I really appreciate uh, was a, an enslaved woman in the U.S. who said, oh, this is like when the master calls us to the house. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. But we need those voices and the importance of having those voices from different perspectives. And I think, <laughs> I don't know if we really want to get into this. For a very long time, the majority of the voices that we've heard on the Bible are people who, to be blunt, look like me, which is to say quite educated white men that think they know everything. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> I shan't disagree with you. <laughs> and I do know everything, but not all of them do. Um, <laughs> Aren't you lucky to have the one that knows yeah, everything? <laughs> know. It's really fortunate that you happen to have the one guy that knows everything. Um, but I think this is why, and I'll say this at Wellspring, one of the things I really celebrate is the number of different voices that yep. we have up here. Like, we have men and women, we have white people, we have people of color, we have straight people and queer people, we mm -hmm. have uh, a disparity of voices because we believe that each one of those people yep. is created in the image of God, and so understand something about God that I, as a white man, white man with all the privilege, can't quite get. I mean, especially with, we're getting into it now, but a document that is written by uh, oppressed people all the way through. It's by people that are oppressed, enslaved, colonized. And so me reading it is a weird thing, mm -hmm. actually. So the importance of other voices, I think, yeah. really helps. I think it helps the text come alive yeah. for me. Well, I think we all, we all bring different questions to it, right? So <coughs> I, I didn't encounter any sort of like feminist criticism until I was late in my 20s. And I genuinely just felt like I'd been robbed. Like I'd been reading texts for years and years and years, just not able to find myself in them. And suddenly I had a lo load of readings by a bunch of women deliberately saying, well, here's where the women are. Here's what their voice is. Here's where their silence is, right? What does it mean that they're not there in this story? And suddenly I had a different way to connect to this and also a different way to ask God questions. So this is the thing, it didn't just free up my intellectual brain, right? It freed up my faith because 
when somebody gives me permission to ask a question from a different point of view or from my own point of view, that's empowering to me. When someone says, you're, no, but you're allowed to ask that. Oh, well, now I can approach God. Because we, we say that, you know, we know that we can approach God with everything. But actually, the culture that we're in sometimes does make us feel like well, there are certain things we're not allowed to ask. There are certain things we're not allowed to say. So suddenly you see someone at the front of your front of a class with authority going, right, we're going to read Abraham and Sarah, but we're going to read it from Hagar's point of view. We're going to read it as Hagar's story. And it's a really simple thing, but if you read the Abraham story, you get really caught up on the fact that Abraham gets this promise from God. If you read it from Hagar's point of view, Hagar also gets the same promise from God. And the way that I've always been taught it is as a story of a patriarch, which it is, you know, there are patriarchs. Is the Bible patriarchal? Yes, there's literal patriarchs in it. <laughs> you can't get away from that. But, but suddenly there's this woman's story where God sees a woman who is in desperation, who has been oppressed, and instead of just sending her back to do her duty, gives her this amazing promise that her children also will be the, the father, you know, that her children will be nations. I mean, I was like, okay. That's amazing. And I'd been in all of the conversations about women in ministry and all of those things. You know, like, well, right back at the beginning, a woman gets a promise that is equal to a man's. Now I've got, now I mean, that changed my faith. It didn't just change my brain. It didn't just change how I approach the Bible. That changed what I was allowed to think about and ask. And those things are important. And again, I was concerned about that because I was a woman, but there must be other questions and other things that other people have that I just would never ask. So I need them to ask them. <laughs> I need mm. them. <laughs> think. Yeah, I think that's something that I'll, I'll say over and over again, that we want this to be a safe place to ask questions. Like, there's no question you can ask that isn't so horrendous or frightening or weird that hasn't already been asked and probably I haven't already thought either. I think that's what's exciting too, that when people say... Sometimes we'll hear like, well, you know, we can't, we can't question the Bible. But when you really examine that, what they're saying is you can't question how I have interpreted the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and those are very, very different things. You know, there's being faithful and there's being legalistic. And legalism is essentially me saying I have interpreted the Bible this way and you have to agree with me and you have to follow me and if you don't, then you're wrong. And I think that's very problematic. And we see all the ways that that's problematic. We've seen... I think the fruit of that kind of posture, I think that fruit has been awful and toxic and disgusting and we don't want it anymore. But what does it look like to be a, yeah, a place that's safe to ask questions yeah. and again, not be judged and say like, <coughs> hey, this might be a stupid question, but, but yeah, no, no, that's okay. Because again, there's no stupid questions in a document that's 2,000 years, well, between two to 3,000 years old, depending on what yeah. part we're talking about, written in multiple languages and multiple countries, multiple continents, written by, you know, all these things, like, why would you expect a simple answer? And I think maybe sometimes that's a, but we're, we're creatures that want simple answers. Yeah. And I think the problem is the Bible doesn't often give us those. It gives us no. some, like, you know, love your neighbor, I think, you know, I, I want to say that's, yeah, do that. That's good. Do <laughs> yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. I think, so there's, there's a couple of things that, that I want to say on that. And one is, the Bible itself permissions us to ask questions um, because it's a witness, right? So the, the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, is a witness to what God is doing in Israel. And the New Testament is a witness to, first, what Jesus is doing, and second, to what the churches are encountering. Well, I don't know when you last read the letter to the Galatians, 
but those are not a bunch of people who get on. <laughs> right? That is not a letter written to instruct a bunch of people who, because they know Jesus, just know everything the same and aren't having any questions. To bring in 1 Corinthians. <laughs> we made it so far. We made it so far. There are se- from chapter 7 onwards, and, and I encourage you to go and look, your Bible will translate a bunch of different points beginning of chapters now about the things and it starts in one chapter one corinthians chapter seven now about the things which you wrote to me (laughs) and the corinthians have written to paul and said uh we don't understand this thing's happening we don't know what to do this thing's happening we don't want to do this is our bible is evident that there is no perfect moment in the beginning of the church where everyone agreed and then somehow money got involved or capitalism got involved or patriarchy got involved and then the women were oppressed and then, you know, like, there is no perfect magical moment of an early church that is perfect. There isn't one. Some people find that scary. I personally find it really relieving. I'm not trying to get back to some amazing first century perfect moment. There wasn't one. The entirety of our New Testament letters are written because people don't know what to do. (laughs) They've discovered Jesus. They have this amazing revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, and that changes everything for them. Now what? Right? Like, that's where our Bible is written. That's That's the bit that our Bible is written. It's this moment of, okay, so we know Jesus is God and was raised from the dead. What do we do now? How do we... And again, this is the reason I'm obsessed with 1 Corinthians. How do we buy, m- buy food in the marketplace if we're Christian and the people who we're buying it from aren't Christian? I mean, that couldn't be more of a live moral issue now. If we tried, right? Where do we put our money? Does it matter? What should we wear? Should we, how should we have our hair cut? God is obsessed with haircuts in the Corinthians. Um, Yo, you know, don't be hating on haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, yours is wrong and mine is wrong. You, <laughs> you have long hair and I have short hair, and we are both not doing the glorious thing as, f- uh, as far as 1 Corinthians 11 goes. Our so hair is not our glory our, right our now. Our hair is not our glory right now. Um, <laughs> which is just amusing. Yeah, yeah, we're both the wrong type of people to be up here. Um, so so, the, so there, is no, there is no moment where it's perfect. So again... The debate, you know, like Timothy, when he's referring to script, when when the writer Timothy's saying all scripture is God breathed, a he's referring probably to maybe the Torah and the prophets, but the Hebrew canon hasn't been set yet, so he's not talking about that letter. He's not saying, well, my letter is scripture. He doesn't. He's not writing as scripture. Paul doesn't really understand he's writing scripture. He's writing to his friends, and we've we've given it authority, and that's important. Our community's given authority, so it's authoritative to us. That's that's not undermining that at all, but. There's no sense here of like, these are the only rules that we have. There's a debate going on. But also, this is the history of the church. And I'm hoping that this is reassuring for you. But for me, to question, to engage, to talk to you, to hear your voice, to, to be questioning and thinking is the tradition of Christianity. I think there's a lot of people at the moment want to say that the only tradition of Christianity is to just obey what is said by your pastor or... Think of things in this one particular way, like that's what Christianity is. I hear it in the debates I'm in a lot, you know, like you're not traditionalist, you're progressive and we're traditionalists. Well, there is no bigger tradition in Christianity than debating and questioning and thinking and writing and reading theology. I mean, like I'd be out of a job for a start if that wasn't (laughs) the case. Um, But if you go and do a theology degree, you know, you walk into a library full of books 2,000 years. My English literature friends have it easy. Oh, I'm writing a dissertation on 
oh, Margaret Atwood, it's really hard. I've got to reference 50 books. I've got to catch up on 2,000 years of people's opinions. <laughs> you know? But that's our, that is our tradition. So again, I'm hoping I'm being, that this is all encouraging and not terrifying. But when you start to have a debate with your friend about what does this Bible verse really mean, you're stepping not only into the tradition of Christianity, but the tradition of Scripture. Jesus does it. We see Jesus more than anything else having like intra-Jewish conversations. He's a Jewish leader, they're Jewish leaders. And nearly all our stories are Jewish leaders saying, doesn't the Bible say this, though? And Jesus saying, it does say this, but also this. Right? You couldn't get more like, this is the history of, of our faith. It's Jesus going, I'm going to debate with you about what you think the scriptures mean, and I'm going to give you something extra. Like, that's, because <laughs> he's the word of God, so he can do that. <laughs> I mean, that, that brings us full circle uh, <laughs> to the first thing we read out. And I think this is interesting that uh, sometimes we kind of say things uh, because we've been said that we should say them. What's interesting to me about the Bible being the word of God is that the Bible doesn't say it's the word of God. The Bible says that Jesus is the word of God, which is what we read in John 1 today. And I think that's really, really important mm. that, for me, I'm taking the Bible at its own word. Yeah. The Bible is telling me that Jesus is the word, like the expression of God, and I believe it. Like that's, so, and that, again, that just frees me up to a whole bunch of other stuff, and that's very exciting. Yeah, I, th I think that it's... This verse in Timothy as well, like I, I reread it this morning, having just thought I knew what it said. But the end of it is, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. Mm. So, so again, this the work isn't good. This book, and also this book, scripture therefore isn't isn't an end in itself. There's a there's a point of this. There's a point of engaging with this. You know, there's a point of. Why do we want to learn? Why do I want to know what the Bible says? Like say, it's 2,000 years old. Why do I care? Can't I just get on with things? Well, yeah, but also it's got something in it that will help me do good works, and I'm really interested in good works, you know? Um, so I think, yeah, like the, there are a couple of blessings of the Bible, and one is that I need to come back to Jesus to understand it, and that's great. It's great that this isn't super easy. Um, I don't know if you've you know, read like Elron Hubbard's books on Scientology, um, but if you were starting, if I was starting a religion now, I'd make a really clear book that told you exactly how to do things uh, and especially where to send your money, right? <laughs> That would be my, my thing. It's Wellspring, by the way. Feeling nervous after last yeah, week. Yeah. <laughs> But our, our, even the canonization process, even the process of getting this book is a community thing. So sometimes the Bible does contradict itself, right? We have debates in it. Peter says in it, uh, I know you've got the letters of Paul. They can be hard to understand, which again is a relief. If Peter can't understand Paul, it's okay if we don't get Romans. Uh, it's fine. Um, but even that canonization process is, is complex. The Bible is weirdly confusing because it's people who find things authoritative. It's not people who are trying to just manipulate you into doing one thing or another. We can use it like that, but actually, when you read it, it's not that. It's people have put it together because they found these things useful, they found them instructive, they found them important, they told them things that they, they all agreed were real about God. But even inside it, it's complex. And that, again, is exciting because I have to come back to Jesus. I have to have a, le like, what's my main 
hermeneutic, the lens that I read things through. For faith, it's a Jesus hermeneutic. <laughs> How does this fit with who Jesus is? How does this fit with who God is? Is a really who I think God is is a really good question. But also, I need you. So I think like it's okay to approach the Bible as an academic. I think it's okay to do what I do and pick it apart and deconstruct it to tiny, tiny bits of data. That's okay. It's also okay to approach it as a seeker. It's okay to approach it with joy, with hope. Um, like it's okay to approach it just as a meditative thing. I use the Psalms to pray more than anything else. I don't need to understand them from a perspective of exile in Babylon. Like it helps. <laughs> it helps if I'm studying it, but it actually doesn't help me in my day-to-day -day life to constantly be going, oh, what was going on in Babylon then? <laughs> and that's okay as well. Like none of these things are wrong. Um, I think I wrote a note which was, uh, you can get the Bible super wrong in that, you know, you can say that the book of Romans is actually about dinosaurs. That's super wrong. It's definitely not. That's a bummer, but. I know, I know. We <laughs> love dinosaurs, but like, mm. But it's very, but there, are, there isn't just one right way. <laughs> so there are very, very wrong ways. So the questions then for me are like, what's, ro what's wrong? What's a wrong way to read the Bible? And I would say, uh, if you're not reading it responsibly with your community, if you're reading it in a way that leads to something that isn't godly, like oppressing people, <laughs> uh, bullying people, <laughs> you know, being cruel, these are, these are ways that are like, yeah, and it, you know, like that's, that's not it. But there's loads of right ways. Use it. Yeah. Oh no. Any final words? That feels like a good place to leave it. Do you have any other notes that you? I've got. I've got loads, but you know. All right. Give me. Give me one last thing, and then we'll we'll wrap up. What's something you really want people to? We've br we've blown things apart a little bit. We've brought it back in with Jesus and community and the importance of that and how that's really exciting to me actually. Yeah, like I think we let's leave it there. Whatever the question is, I'm good with it. Yeah, let, let's leave it there because I'm coming. I'm going to be here next week, and I'm yeah. around if people want to pick my brain. So yeah, if people do want to come and chat to us afterwards, we were thinking about a Q and A, but then we talked for too long. Um, so this is a common thing in our friendship. <laughs> there's, there's a reason why we're still friends after 20 years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm gonna I'm round us up with prayer, and then um, and the worship team are gonna do one more song. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that there is always more to learn about you. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us the Bible to help us understand and learn more about you. And we thank you that you have given us one another too. We recognize that these things can't be done without community. can't be done without other people that love you too. Lord, we pray for this to be a place that is safe to ask questions. We pray that it can be a place where our hearts continue to grow and explode with both understanding and love for you and for one another. We ask all these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Charlotte.